Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, here we are. It's later in the afternoon. Today, after time, I finished all my lectures last night. I finished the series on the Barbanel. Matter of fact, I want to say something from the Barbanel now. <clears throat> We're looking at the Parsha this week, which is, of course, Boaz Hanon. And this is being sponsored by our good friends now in Detroit area. Rabbi Mrs. Kosowski, Ira and Rachel Kosowski, who is very nice and the sponsor. They say, he writes, he's sponsoring in celebration. He says, this is Rabbi Kosowski, uh, celebration of my having been privileged to lay in Boaz Hanon and do Nachu every year since 1982. That's over 40 years. Whoa, very nice. I should, should be able to do it another 40 years. And in appreciation for my walking partner, Rabbi Katz, on the podcast, who joined me for many, many Shpatsirs sharing wisdom and Torah and so forth. And in memory of Rabbi Joshua Sh- Sh- Schmidman, who's yards on seven days in all, which I believe is today. And in gratitude to Rabbi Shalom, uh, in celebration anniversary, a good resolution of last year's health concerns. So that's that's always a very big, that's that's a something serious. Okay, so thank you all both very much, uh, and I wish them much much luck up there in the Midwest. Now um, we're looking at Parshas Veschan, of course, which has this funny quality as the several Parshas do in the beginning of Dvarim, of kind of a rambling. You know, Moshe says it over again, the same thing. He he admonishes them, and then he does it again, and this way, and that, and that way, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's unusual, you know, because it doesn't go in any kind of an order, which Taka means that it was an unscripted speech, you know what I mean? In other words, I mean, literally, he got up and started speaking. It's pretty clear over here that he didn't do wait, the first lesson in a homiletics class, which is, uh, you know, write down your sermon, so to speak, or, or prepare your notes. Uh, because he's just speaking now. Moshe has the Ruch HaKodesh, so it gets a different ball game. But, you know, it does make a difference whether he put things in an order or not in order. And as far as I can see, you know, I think W.T. Hoffman, if I remember correctly, tries to argue there's some kind of an order for it. But listen, you know, it doesn't seem that way. Um, so whatever the whatever Moshe Bain's idea is, you know, it's it, it's uh, it, it doesn't hit the reader. At least it doesn't hit this reader that kind of way. Instead, it's a matter of oomph and feeling. You see a great deal of passion and concern and worry. So, in other words, it's real. Now, listen, I can't boast or anything. I don't prepare any uh, sermons any that way either. But uh, then again, we could be wrong. Maybe Moshe had a prepared address and Hashem reorganized the words. I told you already that when you look at the book of Dvarim, we see the final edited edition. This is the language of Bonisholm wanted to put in. So maybe Moshe Rabbeinu had, you know, dearly beloved ladies and gentlemen, Mo'rabosai and all that kind of business, and it's just left out because Hashem would cut to the chase. I don't know. There's no way to know. But it has that funny quality to it. And it's repetitive in this way. You know, it's 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 strange. <clears throat> On the other hand, it's very, very real. And what you really see over here is Moshe's worried, worried, worried. And of course, he was 100% right. Because as soon as he left, they went off the derech. I mean, this, this, this is what happened. <clears throat> And what's interesting, I don't think most people necessarily notice this, unless you're like a Parsha freak, 
and that is the kind of themes that you and I definitely uh, generally associate with the end of Dvarim, like in the Nitzam Bayelech and all that kind of stuff, is already foreshadowed here in in, in brief in um, in Vazchanan, the part we're going to read on, on, on Tisha B'Av, Kisol But before we do that, there's always something very interesting that I like to uh, focus on, and that is, I'm sure I've done it in the past, uh, a seemingly strange verse, and that is, uh, in the beginning, you know, in, uh, I guess, Perk Vav, Pasuk Vav, Perk Dal Pasuk Vav, Moshe is saying, keep the misses, keep the misses, keep the misses, don't screw up, keep the misses. And, um, and I gave you all these mitzvahs, as if he hasn't already said that. These mitzvahs, or to be very exact, uh, the previous Pasuk says, I'll read, let me read it again. So these are verses 5 and 6 in chapter 4. Moshe says, I taught you, so a chok is one kind of a thing and a mishpat is another. Kashir, he doesn't say edos and all that kind of stuff, like hirsh. <coughs> so, arts and so forth. Okay, I mean, I get that, you know. But hold on for a second. I mean, I I, I get that. But the thing is, um, so keep these things I just told you, which is the chukim and the mishpatim. Because this is what's going to make you, this is your wisdom and discerning. No, this is going to make you look smart. In the eyes of the Goyim. Because the Goyim, who are not Jewish, will listen and hear these mitzvahs, these laws. Specifically, they'll listen to the Chukim, which you know has no reason. So this is not making sense. Right? Because the Chok some doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> the Rambam, very famously, I remember, a number of times in his writing, invokes this verse in favor of the Maimonidean rationalistic attitude towards the exposition of Scripture. Right? Which which makes sense. So when the Rambam has Tame Amitzvahs and things like that, you can say they're good, you can say they're bad, they're schwach, they're weak, they're strong. But at least the idea should be, it seems, that Amitzvah has a reason, it makes a certain sense. Because otherwise, how can you say that the Chukim Mishpatim are self-evidently rational and therefore worthy of admiration from the Gentiles when it, it could be a mitzvah without a reason? It doesn't make any sense. Right? And the, to- and the problem with that, of course, is that there are plenty of mitzvahs in the Torah that don't make any sense. In fact, they look laughable. The Gemara itself even says, you will recall this, and you are somewhere in the middle, where it says there are several mitzvahs the guy make fun of us. One of them was Sarla Azazel. I remember that. And yeah, I forget the others. But, you know, it, it's, it's, in, it's in the middle of Yuma somewhere. It's repeated several times. Some, some language like that. It seems silly. Right? You offer a Sarla Azazel. You, you, you push the thing off the cliff. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Okay? So how can it be? Amin. In other words, there's an argument against a Kabbalistic interpretation. A Kabbalistic interpretation would be, well, it means this and this and this. Well, who's supposed to know that? You don't have to know it. That's the way it is. But it seems weird. I don't care what you think. It's Kabbalah. This is how it is. You understand? You're, you're too dumb to hop. 
And certainly if Umbus Olam, they're too dumb to hop. So, okay. So basically, you take them blind faith. That's the word Kabbalah means. You're Kabbalah, you know. Take them blind faith. But wait a minute. The argument against that is, Only a smart and intelligent people will come up with this stuff. Right? means they do things that are rational. They make sense. Look how wise they are. If I come to a country and the government functions smoothly and the economy is run well and the streets are clean and there's no crime, I say, oh, right? I mean, isn't that what it means? Right? Isn't that what it means? So it's always interesting because nobody kind of like picked up on this. The Rambam mentioned in his way, but he doesn't. But of course, the Rambam can't be right in the simple sense that everything has to be rationally interpreted because, like I said before, there clearly are, you know, mitzvahs and things like this, especially chukim, chok means it's a chok. So the Rambam doesn't have a reason really for Parduma, does he? Or, you know, or something like that. So, uh, and as I said before, you aim know, I mean, I forget, there's a whole list there. I'm just too lazy to pull the Gemara out in front of me. <laughs> but, you know, there are several mitzvahs <clears throat> that, that are self-evidently weird. Um, we do them anyway, but they're self-evidently weird. And especially when you get to the level of Torah Shavah well, hold that thought for a second. So, you know, I looked around just just now, wondering, what's the approach of your different before? I didn't see anything good that worked for me, uh, except one. And he said what I wanted to say, so I was happy about that. And that's from Barbadell. I just finished last night a lecture series, almost all of which is online. It's six talks and, and five are up online on my YouTube site about the Chatzranim, the court Jews in Spain. And last night was the last of them, which is the Abarbanel, Yitzhak Abarbanel. And of course, uh, he's the last and famous, famous of them uh, as a court Jew. Uh, I'm not going to hazard what I said. It took me an hour and a half last night. You know, being in Portugal and later in Castile and so forth. And... Uh, the Barbanel, of course, is different than the other Mepharshim because the guy was a multi-multi-millionaire in his heyday. Uh, you know, Rashi and the Ramban, they didn't have that kind of money. Uh, but again, I'm not going to cause this over. And one thing, they, uh, but the Barbanel became famous not because it was a court Jew, but because he wrote his commentary on the Tornavim Ksub, on the Tanakh. Uh, that's what put him on the map. If you ever study or read a book of the Barbanel on some other subject, like on his messianic business, you know, Mashmiya Yeshua, or all this other kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's, uh, you're only doing it because he, he's the same Barbara who wrote in the Chumash, wrote in the Tanakh. I guarantee you, most of the people listening, if not all the people listening to this podcast, never heard of most of the books that are Barbanel. I mean, you heard of his uh, Haggadah, Pirkeiavis, you know, but uh, not, you know, you never heard of a Terra Zikanim and these other things. Now, one of the interesting things about their Barbanel is his relationship to rationalism. Uh, because he is a kind of a rationalist, but more in a common sense uh, type style. Um, I don't get paid to do this, but there's a brand new edition. One one of the things that the Barbara was interested in was not only Chumash and Tanakh, of course that's his big thing that we're going to talk about in a second, but one of the very, very interesting uh, things that the Barbara was always interested in, in Moranabuchim. Isn't that interesting? But with a kind of a, um, 
skeptical attitude towards it. No, he's a frumi interpreter of the Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think most people are aware of that. And particularly on um, subjects that have to do with fundamentals of Emuna. Scharva Onish, Maimonar Sinai, Adamarisha, and Mechaba Beganeden. You know, things of that kind of Nisis Mitzrayim, that, that sort of thing. Would a Rambo say one thing, Nebavani the other? Nebavani is one of the four classic commentators uh, on the bottom of the Murnabuchim in the, in the old fashioned uh, Murnabuchim sets that they still publish now, which has the four commentaries on the bottom. You know, it's the Ephodi and the. Barbanel and the um, Usher Kreskus, not Chazek Kreskus, Usher Kreskus, and the Shem Tov, who I was talking about the other day, a week or two or three or four ago. And uh, he's the biggest and longest of them. There's a famous line that the four commentaries at the bottom of the Merne uh, were the Chacham, the Rosh, and the and the Elishol. And I'm pretty sure I remember that the Barbanel was supposed to be the Chacham. But uh, <clears throat> there's a brand new edition, brand, brand new, it just hit the, the stands. Of the uh, new printing of the Myrna Buchem in beautiful print, unfortunately not in Manukad, uh, but in fancy schmancy and with a uh, uh, wonderful apparatus that has like Ashita Mikobetsis on it from uh, other uh, famous classic uh, commentaries, not only the four that I mentioned, and it's being put out as we speak in Israel by this operation that's obviously super duper into the Myrna Buchem over here. Machon Hagos Vedas Yisrael and Bnei Brak. I guess Rabbi Seawald, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they know what they're doing. Uh, fortunately, Zev Raiden was just in Israel. His daughter, and his married daughter is now moving there. And he went to the bookstore at my request on the last day he was there. And, he, and it just hit the stands. So I'm one of the few people who has this so far. It'll soon be out there more. And you see the environmental goes in all these logical type questions. And... Uh, and uh, on question of so you know he'll challenge this this sort of uh, what seems to be superficial approach you find in others, including the Rambam, because the Rambam says you know the whole Torah makes sense and he and and has to be interpreted rationally um, and not stupidly. I think it's in Hakdam and Achelik, if I'm not mistaken, and. Um, but on the other hand, it's not so simple to do that. That's why the mystics would disagree with Maimonides and say certain things cannot be explained simply, and uh, and you just have to eat that, you know, you, you just get used to that. Now, specifically, if you look at the Barbanel and the Chumash in this week's Parsha, he raises the question, you know the style, he always asks 10, 20 questions, 30 questions um, before he answers them all, and he had called Svekos. And um, by the way, Dvorim was the first book he wrote on the Chumash. And he asked, listen to this. And this is the Barbara in the beginning of Eschanon. And he says that the Pesach says, Re'eli madati eschem chukim mishpatim. So the Barbara says, Zachar chukim mishpatim, Velo zachar mitzvos lo edos. So notice that Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say the mitzvos and the edos are also signs of your intelligence to the Goyim. Why not? So, why don't you talk about Chosha Mishpat there? If this is a sign of your Chachma and your Bina Leni Amim, and if you have a good code of civil law to do 
you know, money matters, it makes sense, that would be it's a fair question. And finally, the word, see, he looks at the Lushan closely. That's what I ha, uh, I'm trying to get you to do. The words are, Asher Yishmon Degoyim, Asher Yishmon Kolachukim Ma'ilu, V'yomarak Amchacham Benavona Goya Golazah. Now, you and I, you know, since we're usually superficial when we read the Parsha, if we read the Parsha, so we see the Chukim are the laws. So when the Goyim hear about the laws of the Torah, they say, Oh, how wise and smart the people are. And it's like a certain pan of praise. To the laws of the Torah, but the, actually, it's, it's, it says mishpatim. In other words, it's getting down to the nitty gritty. So chok is something that has no reason, like the paradumer or something like that, right? And as I said before, you know, you're so azazel, you're adam zelman. There's a lot of those, as we know, especially when we get to the nitty gritty in the Torah Shabbat. So a lot of it, you know, some makes sense, some doesn't make sense. You do it anyway. Now, um, that being the case, so. What does it mean that this will be self-evidently, you know, uh, rational and will and the chukim of all things will work out? And the Reverend says something interesting. I myself said it many times, which is why I like it. And he says like this, um, and, 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 and I'll expand upon it if I can. That is the Barbanel for those who are interested. Sure, the Kasowskis have an Abarbanel set at their disposal. That uh, it's in Pasuk Ches, as I said before. Um, and he says like this. Even though the Chukim don't make it, have no reason, to, how can you praise people for it? When a person does things in an intelligent way, if you see something, do something that you, doesn't make any sense to you, okay? So, if he's a rational person, you say he must have a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but he must have a reason. Because look at the other things he does that are reasonable. You see? There must be a reason for it. Even though I don't know what the reason is. When the Goyim see that the Mishpatim side of the Torah, the Chosha Mishpat, all makes sense. See, even the Chukim that are part of the Mishpatim must make sense, even though we don't know why. So he says, the Ron says that. I, I, I don't know where that is, okay? And that's why he says, Chukim Mishpatim. But it's more than that. And he goes on to say um, that, uh, here, let me, let me uh, summarize it here in my JPS thing. Uh, one second. There we go. Despite the fact that the reasons for the laws are not evident, the rightness of the rules result in them would be so beneficial as to elicit admiration from the nations. Uh, so I'll tell you what that means in my opinion. And we've said it before on other occasions also. 
it's not exactly what the barbanel means, but it's very close to it. And in my opinion, you know, this is the, the shot. There are a lot of things in the Torah that don't make sense. But when you, for example, why do you have 39 malachas of Shabbos, Dafka, these malachas, and others not? And then you start saying, you know, uh, but if you do it this Shino, it's okay. And if you do it this, the Dabashim is common, it's okay. And all these other kind of rules. And, you know, this much is considered caring, and that much is not considered caring. And my goodness, when you get to an air, go tell somebody, you know, you know, the, the, the good achis, good asik, you know, it, it, it's not logical, you see. Um, not really. But then people say like this, but you know, I've been to a Jewish neighborhood and I spent Shabbos with a Jewish family and it works. You know, I don't know why, but I see there's harmony in the community. There's beauty in the ritual. There's a, you know, a, a, a genuine community and family life. It's all very healthy. It's mutual respect. And the people get together and they experience a period of 24 hours called Shabbos in which they have, a, you know, a, 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 a different state of being I don't want to over, you know, splash it, but you know what I'm saying. A Shabbos is a Shabbos, especially when it's done right. I, what does that have to do with, uh, you know, Shnei Bati Niren and all this? I don't know. I don't know, but I see the final result. So if you see a doctor who says, get this and this medicine, this thing, then this thing over here, it, it maybe doesn't make any sense, because, you know, but you know the, the patient gets better. So it must be that it makes sense. You understand? So when nations see, that you're running a country and it works, so I don't understand exactly the ain't in business and all that. But I see Lamaisa, it discourages people from uh, from being ain't in I see that when they push the thing off the cliff, even though it's a little strange to me, that on, on Yom Kippur, it makes a rosham on people. They act better. They're in a better mood. I see the social benefits, in other words, of these things that don't make any sense. But I only see it when it's part of a big picture. You understand? By itself, it would be like a patch of paint. But within the context of a whole painting, I see it's not just a patch of paint. It's a detail in a large, uh, you know, fancy portrait or something like that. And it enhances it tremendously. So do you see the forest? Do you see the trees? Do you look at the mitzvahs, the chukim and the, and, and the mishpatim, as individual chokes? then they don't make any sense. If you see them, Chukim Mishpatim as a, as, a, as a large body of them, and you look at the, the social consequences, I repeat, the social consequences of them, then you say, I don't know exactly why, and if you would ask me, I would have proposed, you know, different rules, and this, and that, and the other, but hey, they're pulling off what I can't pull off. They have a model society when it works. You know, they, they, they have a, a, a good polity, there's mutual respect. There's, um, you know, uh, harmony uh, the gen- between the generations, among the people, and they have a good attitude towards God and the, and vice versa. So what, what can I say? It works. Now, to be a little more exact about this, and this is an important point, um, it goes to the Torah Shavah Peh. The Torah Shavah Peh, the question I just asked you is based on me being a post-Gemara person. There was a time, as you know, when the Torah Shabbat was literally that. It was oral and not supposed to be written down. In order not to become frozen and to leave it up to maximum uh, discretion of the authorized Torah teacher and posek. 
So if you went to Elyon Novi once upon a time long ago, in his capacity as Talmud Chacham, or his brother Joe, you know, assuming that they were, you know, uh, the type of people that were masters of the Torah Shabbat Pat, which they only pick up through, not through book reading, there were no books, but through discipleship with somebody over a long period of time, you would indeed see that, you know, two people came one after the other. This lady asked whether she should fast on, on Tishbab because, I don't know, you know, she just had a baby a month ago, something like that, and he would say no. And the next lady with the exact same scenario, he would say yes. And you would say, but I don't get it. You know, just said one over here and one there. And the answer, obviously, would be like this. The first lady had this in this situation. It's not simply the fact that she had a baby a month or two months ago, but she also has this situation in her family and that situation, and she has some other condition or whatever. Um, she's just been through a hard time. And, you know, whatever the case is, and the other lady not. And if I knew that, if I see, in other words, had a Tershavavet is applied in this flexible way, not by some fool, but some genuine, down to, honest to goodness, Talmud Chacham of the old school, which is before the Torah was written down, you know, in the good old days, so to speak. I see Beisham may operate this way, I see Beisil operate there, but each one would apply the law, not in a rigid fashion, but in a nuanced fashion, full of twists and turns and variations so that the same people asking the question get different answers. Am I allowed to do this on Shabbos? No. Am I allowed to do this on Shabbos? Well, you can do it, right? Can this one turn on the light? No. Can this one turn on the light? Yes. All that, again, I'm talking about a, a, a real posik of, you know, 2,500 years ago or something like that. You know, Ezra, Ezra Chemia, somebody like that. If they, you know, if, if you do it, we still have this leftover in the large posek of today, but it's, 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 you know, very rare, you know, it's it, because once they start writing it down, then there's certain things you can't go against. They don't feel you can go against, um, with the rarest of exceptions. Uh, so that made the Torah much richer. But when Moshe was saying this 3,000 years ago, the Torah Shavah Peh just started. It was a Torah Shavah Peh. And as the Rambam puts, let's go with the Mahalach that the Rambam says that Moshe Armenu Got the Torah Shabbat, obviously, and got the Torah Shabbat, but he taught the Bnei Yisrael, the Yud Gimel Midos, and then he said, now you apply the laws. Meaning, he taught them the Torah reasoning, whatever those Midos were, it doesn't matter, because he can think it's a that. that's David Tzvi Hoffman territory. But whatever the tools of interpretation, I'm talking legal interpretation, were, once they did that, then on the contrary, you're not bound, the dying was not bound by what Moshe Rabbeinu actually said. The dying was, and if David Melch, for good reasons, because David Melch was a God of uh, in learning. So if David Melch saw that this, and this thing is necessary here or there, he would say, okay, this is the din for this situation. But for you, the din is in a different situation. And, uh, and since it would all be based on a very uh, deep logic, the logic of the original law, the meaning of the original law, and the application to specific situations by intelligent uh, decisors, by intelligent postgim, then the nations of the world would say like this, Wow. Wow. You know, I see precisely in the fact that he gives this ruling over here because of a certain reason. And the and in the seemingly identical question situation Somebody else, he gave a different ruling, but based on 
on sound considerations, wow, that we don't have that usually in modern law. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a judge or a lawyer. Uh, and I suppose there's a certain amount of discretion and all the rest of it. But, you know, we would consider it antithetical to the efficient operational law. The basic idea of trying to efficient operational law is one rule applies to everybody. You understand? Like I said, the judge has certain leeway and all that. But having said that, you know, you're supposed to be one standard for everybody. The Torah Shavuot was precisely the opposite. It's not one standard for everybody. There are cases when they're one standard for everybody, and there are cases not. That's left up to David Amalek, Shlomo, Yeshua ben Nun, Asniel ben Kanas, and so forth down the centuries. That's the way Shavir Gon describes the situation prior to Rabbi Lanasi writing down the Mishnah when that began to change. It had good reasons. I get that. The reasons had to be, but it was a big change. And therefore, we can find ourselves today, as we do, not in situations where people say, oh, rock, I'm going to go there. There's plenty of stuff the Orthodox Jews do that the going think is ridiculous. Now, there's plenty of things we do not, but there are plenty of things that they do. And that's because we don't have this kind of, you know, flexibility, uh, you know, to, 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 to play with the rules. You can't play with the rules. The din is the din, it's written down, it's codified. You know, I mean, I understand where the shalos and shubas fit in, but nevertheless, it's fairly codified, and uh, it's, a, it's a different uh, beast. It says it's, it's a beast of a different nature. When Moshe Arena was talking about Mamash and this, he was saying, I'm giving you a Torah, the Chukim Mishpatim, and the Torah Shabbat Peh, Poskim, who are supposed to apply the Chukim Mishpatim. And again, if they have a complete and thorough knowledge of the Torah and a complete and thorough knowledge of the Din, then they'll realize you can't Poskim unless they have a complete and thorough knowledge of the situation in front of you. And then indeed, you'll find a situation where this person is told to fist, and the other person is not told to fist. This person is told, you know, he can do this on Shabbos, and the other person is told he can't do this on Shabbos. This person is, is told, you know, you can let your kids play ball in this thing, and your person is told you can't. And it's not a question of, hey, it's not fair, you told him this, and you told me that. Thus, goof is the art. You understand? So, I think we have a very uh, fascinating insight. Um, this is not exactly what the Barbadell says, uh, you know. I take it a little bit farther. But uh, I think, based on what we know about the evolution of the Torah Shalpeh and its eventual rigidity into written form, and how this was deplored, but excused as a Horah Shah, then this Pasuk becomes very illuminating. Anyway, if you think about it, you'll see, you'll, I, I think you'll see uh, what I'm saying, and even more than that. So, uh, once again, I want to thank the Kasowskis very nicely for stepping up and sponsoring. And as I said the other day, I hope this week will be an easy week. It should be the last Tisha above of the old school. And everybody should have an easy fast. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.